The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I have been asking myself the question lately what it means to be on this path and practice the Dharma in the United States of America in 2017. The Dharma is something that's alive. It's not something in a book. It's not something on a few sheets of paper. Uh, and it's not something that exists as some fixed transcendent reality that we break through to and uh, abide in forever to be loving, peaceful, and kind. That'd be nice, uh, but that's not, that's not been my experience and isn't my understanding of, of these teachings. This word dharma or dhamma in the Pali has a lot of different meanings. Any of you who have studied Buddhist texts or the Buddhist psychology, uh, done some of the programs here at IMC, know this. Two of the meanings that, that I like the most are uh, nature or the natural law or the way. And when you look at those words in English, to me that, that communicates something that's living. Uh, something that we, uh, that we can embody and be in harmony with or not. And that harmony, that way, that attunement to that which is natural within us means that we are awake, aware, and connected to the reality uh, of the moment. And the reality of these moments uh, on the planet are, are troubling in so many ways, so many ways. I, have, I haven't been uh, teaching a lot in the community this uh, summer, these last few months. I am a bit of a, a free agent here in the Bay Area in the Dharma. I don't have a home community like Gil and Andrea do or like some of my friends do. Um, I'm I'm, uh, I, I, I substitute when they're busy, <laughs> which is quite nice in some ways because I get to spend time with different groups of people. Uh, so uh, this weekend I'm 
I taught in San Francisco on Friday night. I'm here this morning, and I'll be up in Berkeley this evening subbing for my, my friend Will. And uh, I was thinking about, you know, this question of what it means to practice these days and what to share, what to offer. And what what I came back to was one of the most foundational aspects of this path, which is the the practice of refuge. Not the idea of refuge, but the practice of refuge. And so I'd like to offer a, a few reflections this morning on what this what this practice of taking refuge has to do with being on the path today. And uh, we have sort of a, these Sunday mornings are sort of a short program uh, in terms of the actual teaching and interactive components, much more time for our uh, internal practice more than our, our interactive practice. So I'll, I'll aim to keep my reflections on the briefer side which is no guarantee that that will happen, uh, so that we can have some questions and discussion. So refuge. I think we live in a time where all of us carry a wound of being a refugee. There are different degrees and aspects of being a refugee from from the most kind of obvious, literal refugees around the planet who have lost or are losing their homes due to war, violence, climate change, political oppression. Uh, there are the refugees uh, in this country who uh, have lost their home due to e- economic inequality or the the history and practices of the housing industry in the in the country so who are literally homeless there are those of us who um, are refugees in terms of uh, various aspects of our ancestry or culture, whether we came <clears throat> whether we came to this country on slave ships or whether our land and our history was taken to us by white settlers or whether we came to this country because we were persecuted for our religion or our beliefs. Or whether we were robbed of our ancestry and our culture when we became white to, to fit into a society that needed to create an identity in order to justify 
the systems of inequality and keep people separated from each other. If you're unfamiliar with that history, uh, you can look up an article online called The Demon in Darren Wilson's Head by Reverend Tondeka. It's a very short, rich, dense piece that summarizes that history in a way that uh, you could read whole books about. Fundamentally, you know, underneath all of these layers and these dimensions of, of not having a home, not being safe, I think that there's a there's a profound loss of of connection and place as human beings. We've you know lived for millennia in tight knit small communities in a tribe where we know everyone, where we know our relationships, where the food and the materials that we use um, have a connection to the land and the place and the people around us, and that's so much not the case today. So it's, you know, it's, it's heavy. It's heavy and it's real. And you look at the Buddhist path and you look at this practice, this beautiful, um, tremendous practice. And it begins with this act, with this movement of the heart, of taking refuge. What does that mean? Anyone who's been practicing or studying these teachings the last years of your life, the way that they have been understood and transmitted here in the West in the last 40 years, has some understanding of what it, what the taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha means. The historical example of the life of the Buddha who set out to discover something more enduring and uh, reliable than the, than the things of this world. The teachings of the Dharma that he, that he discovered and left us. Uh, the truth that those point to uh, that's always available in the in the present moment and the community of practitioners those who have realized some aspect of the truth or those who are on the path to understanding that truth that these these three the teacher and the vision that he represents the path and the truth that it reveals and the community So I ask myself, what does it mean to take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha when there are brothers and sisters of mine in this country who understand their way of Refuge, their way of finding a home and making a place uh, 
by asserting the supremacy of one group over another. What does it mean to take refuge? So for me, first, I look at that word refuge and say, what is, what is that? What is refuge? So the word in Pali is sarana, sarana, which I've been told by um, a wonderful uh, Buddhist Theravada nun and scholar, Bhikkhuni, that if you look at the etymology and the grammar of that word, sarana, which could mean refuge or shelter, that literally it means something like the result of having gone somewhere and stayed there is a shelter or a refuge. The result of having gone somewhere and stayed there. I look at the English word for safety and the definition of that word, and it means to be free from danger, to be free from harm, to be free from injury, save, to be safe, to be free from injury. And all of those meanings have resonances, carry, carry weight for me in my heart. That refuge is something that we have to create. The result of having gone somewhere and stayed there, there's an action. We go to the Buddha for refuge, Buddham Saranangachami, to go, to go there. That means we have to find it. We have to know where these uh, capacities for awakening truth and interconnectedness are inside us. We have to find them. We have to go there and we have to spend time there. We have to build the refuge. We have, to, we have to find the refuge, make the refuge, and share the refuge. Not just within ourselves, but among ourselves. To say, who are those who don't have refuge? Who are the vulnerable in our society? Who are the ones who can't walk down the street and feel safe because the color of their skin is different than the color of mine? Because the gender of their body is different than the gender of mine? Because the clothes that they wear are different than the clothes that I wear? Taking refuge in the Buddha, to me, means really looking at his life first and foremost and understanding that he lived in a society with a ruling elite and a racial caste system with no social mobility, that he grew up in a life of privilege as a prince, and that he recognized the limits and the suffering of that and that he left it all behind. And that he had the, the audacity to create a community that stood outside of that racial caste system that welcomed beggars and untouchables and sex workers into its ranks. What must that have been like in ancient India? We look at his relationship with women, and I'm so honored 
to be sitting here instead of in that room today, to be sitting beneath this statue of Maha Pajapati, the first Buddhist nun, the Buddha's mother. And all the controversy around what, what actually happened with the nuns in the time of the Buddha and how much can we trust what the early texts actually say and were they changed or redacted by the editors 500 years later to present a different picture and we don't know. But when I look at it, I'm humbled and I learn from it because either on the one hand, he was a true radical and a visionary who stepped so far outside of the boundaries of his society that he welcomed women into the ranks of the true Brahmins, not born by caste, but by action, by virtue of the purity of one's mind and heart. Or I look at it and I say, even the Buddha, if the texts are true, here, even someone with such wisdom and freedom and clarity that the roots of patriarchy which had existed on the planet for at least several thousand years before the time of the Buddha, are so deeply embedded in our consciousness that even he was unable to step outside of it if those texts are true. And either way, I learned something about what it means to take refuge today in the Buddha. But Buddha doesn't just mean the person, it means, it means that quality of awakening, that quality of wakefulness, to wake up, to be woke, to wake up. And what do we wake up to? We wake up to the reality of the times that we live in. And that takes courage, that takes strength. That's why I'm speaking through tears to you this morning. Because to be awake today means to have your heart broken. Every day. It means to have the courage to, to open to that. And we need a refuge to do that. You can't open to it if you don't have refuge. If you don't have a home. You know, I've had the great, um, the great gift of um, having been able to spend the last 20 years of my life dedicating myself to this path so that there's a basis of strength in awareness inside of me, inside of my body and my mind. That's not complete. It's not unshakable. But there's something here because I sought it out and I've gone there and I've stayed there and I return there every day to the refuge of wakefulness, to the refuge of awareness. I've been, I've been reading a lot and watching a lot of documentaries, trying to educate myself more and more about the history of our country and our people. And um, 
watching some of the recordings of James Baldwin from the 60s and, you know, blown away by how relevant and powerful his words are for all of us still today. One of the things that he said that's often quoted uh, that I think of when I think of the refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma is that not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. So this is what it means. This is part of what it means to me to take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma is to, is to, is to wake up, to take refuge in the very fact of awareness that all of these atrocities that are occurring around the planet, that, that when we have the strength, that, that our refuge is not in running or hiding from them, that it's in waking up to them, that that holds the potential for transformation and change. And that that's not the only thing that's happening. I don't know if any of you saw the, the, the aerial video footage of the rally in Boston this weekend that showed the, the size of the, the, the group uh, that had demonstrated uh, in uh, favor of supporting uh, white supremacy in, the, in the, the, uh, their right to free speech. And the seas and seas of people surrounding them, demonstrating against hate. It was amazing to see the, va- the, 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 the numbers. And you look at the media, you look at the news, and, and we don't see that the balance isn't represented. The, the, the goodness and the, the vastness of uh, people who don't support that. So taking refuge in the Dharma, in the Dhamma, in this way. The radical resonances that I discover in that, in that refuge are the way of nonviolence. That meeting, meeting the reality of what's happening around us and inside us, that that hatred never ceases through hatred but through love, that this is an eternal law, as it's said in the Dhammapada. To take take refuge in the Dharma means that I continually train myself to be in harmony with that truth. What does it mean to meet hatred and have a refuge in the natural laws of things? to align myself with the the force of goodness, soul force, satyagraha, as as Gandhi said, the the force of truth, the force of goodness, that that has an energy to it, that when we align ourselves with what we know is morally good and right and true in our hearts, that that's greater than anything else, that that's what unites us, that we're more similar than we are different that we all breathe the same air, we all drink the same water, we all bleed the same blood. Taking refuge in the Dharma means 
understanding that in our bones so that it's unshakable. That's what we accept when we say the way it is. Accepting the truth of things as they are doesn't mean accepting the truth of oppression or the truth of the destruction of the environment. It doesn't mean accepting the temporal conventional reality that our civilization has constructed. It means accepting the deeper truth, seeing and understanding the laws that are operating all of the time regardless of what we as humans create and lay upon those that you can't fool mother nature that we can't escape the laws of the universe that's what we take refuge in and we take refuge in each other we take refuge in the connections that we weave of community that we see that so many of the of the 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 illnesses that have infected our hearts that have infected our society the illness of racism the illness of white supremacy the illness of addiction which is a public health crisis not a criminal affair that these are reflections of the disintegration of community, the lack of community, the lack of connection, of belonging. We see what do we take refuge in? What's, what does is, what is our society offer for refuge? The myth of success and happiness through youth and beauty, the myth of fulfillment through accumulation, the myth of relief through distraction and entertainment, through wealth or role or status or busyness or distraction, that these are false refuges. And that instead we can build a true refuge. We can find a true place of safety in awareness, in, in, in the truth, in the natural law and order of things that we are a part of, and in each other in our connections. In the fact that no one of us has it all figured out. In the fact that the very way the chairs are set up in this room with one person sitting at the front speaking with one person sitting at the front speaking where it's no coincidence is a white male, right? I'm sitting here because I didn't have debt when I got out of college and I was able to go to India and practice. There, there are conditions that are historical that allowed me to be practicing for the last 20 years and do the teacher training program, right? All of that's present in this room in the very orientation of the fact that there's supposedly one person who knows something that will be shared with others 
Not to discount what I've learned, not to discount what I have to offer, but to, but to reveal, to point out that practicing Dharma means looking at the very assumptions and the structures that we take for granted and seeing that if, if we are to recreate the human community, the sacred family, we need to see that it's a circle. It's not a, it's not a stage that we all have things to learn from one another, that we all have a piece to, to contribute and to carry, that there are things that each of us in this room know deeply that are an answer to the problems that we face and that none of us can do it alone, that we need to listen to each other. We need to learn how to honor each other and the beauty that we each carry. We can't separate ourselves from our environment or our society. That there's no such thing as an individual in some way. That that's a myth. It's a myth in the spiritual sense. It's a myth in the psychological sense. And it's a myth in the social sense. And that when we don't have community, when we don't have connections, when we don't feel a sense of place and belonging, that it's easy to believe in the myth of the other. It's easy to believe the story of those people who are coming to hurt us, to steal our jobs, to rape our children, to steal our belongings, whatever, whatever the narrative is. It's easy to create and feed upon the fear that arises when we don't know one another. Malcolm X said people fear each other because they, they're separated from one another because they don't know each other. And so to me, taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha today means looking deeply at all of these questions, means examining everything about the structures and the assumptions in our own minds and, and stepping outside of all of that and finding the possibility of being truly awake, of, of seeing, seeing the, real, the real laws of this planet, not the law of the 13th Amendment, which held out the possibility of slavery through the definition of crime. But the higher laws, taking refuge in those. And the reality that we are a community, whether we see it or not. That we are deeply and intimately connected, as, as Dr. King said, that we are woven together, inseparable in a, in a garment that our destinies are, are, are woven together in an inseparable way. So thank you for practicing. Thank you for looking inside. Thank you for quieting your mind and, and opening to the truth of what it is to be alive. May we all continue together to understand what it is to find and offer refuge in this planet.
so we have just a little bit of time left. Uh, if there are um, any any questions or reflections or other expressions of, of wisdom that uh, folks want to share or explore together. I do. Is this on? Yeah, just just point it right close to your mouth like that. There you go. I do believe this is not on. Hello? Is it working? Okay. I do believe that hate only dissolves in love. But how do we transmit love to these people engaged in their right of hate speech? Mm-hmm. There's a very beautiful um, book by Starhawk called um, The Fifth Sacred Thing. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Astonishing. If you haven't read it, go get it and read it. The Fifth Sacred Thing. And in it, there's this refrain that comes in in the latter half of the book. Different parties in tension with one another but the um the refrain is there's a place for you at our table there's a place for you at our table i don't know i don't know the answer to that question it's something that some of my colleagues and i in the nonviolent communication world are actively discussing and you know i think there needs to be dialogue i think there needs to be um understanding offered even as there's a condemnation of uh, of violence and hatred, you know, it's it's love. Love doesn't mean passivity. It doesn't mean right condoning things. Um, so even even as there's a there's a uh, a very clear statement, you know, of I can't agree with it with it with a narrative that hates. Um, I think there needs to be a simultaneous expression of there is a place for you in our society. You know, J- Jack Cornfield just published a, a v- very beautiful short piece on um, in response to what's been happening in the country. And he points out that, you know, the Civil War was not that long ago, 150 years. It's really not that long ago. And I, I think that there is a deep wound in in uh, a certain segment of the population in our country, uh, that that is being expressed. There's a trauma from that war and from that time that, that there was a way of life in the South that was built upon oppression, but that, but that, that there was an identity that was that was torn away. And and so for me, there's some there's there's some wisdom or in, there's some insight in that. In, in, and I, I tie it to the sense of where is the belonging? You know, where is, how does, how, does, um, how does a straight white Christian man from the South find a place and a home in America in 2017? For me, that's, that's where the love is. That's where the place is to say that you belong here as much as any of us. And you have a history here. 
as much as any of us. And all of us, there's darkness in all of our history. None of us are pure, you know. So there's, there's, there's a healing there. I don't know the answer, but that's where my mind looks. Yeah. Yeah, please. Yeah. If you take the little fuzzy off also, it might pick up good? your voice better. Um, so I'm interested um, in uh, hopefully the not-too-distant future um, doing some work on economics. And if you think about a lot of the problems that you talk about, inequality and oppression, yeah. it's based on an economic system. Yep. And economic systems are built by people. Yep. Um, and, you know, the idea kind of fundamental to economics is let's have incentives that are supposed to help make society better off. And I think this is a really good time yeah. for us to think, what incentives are, should we have in our economic system to make um, society better off? And I think community building is one of the aspects of that. Right. I think we have way too much incentive for just wealth generation and distraction and entertainment yeah. and things, and not nearly enough about community building. So yeah. that's the thing that gives me hope in terms of these systems that are not working for us are built by people, and maybe we can help move us to a better system in the future. Thank you. I wanted to make a comment. Yeah. Can people... I just think the volume's really low. I'll just talk into this one. Um, I'm, I'm really appreciating what people are asking and sharing. And I really appreciated what people are asking and sharing. And thank you, Oren, for that uh, talk. And... Um, one thing that I heard yesterday at a rally that really touched me that I just want to repeat is that I think it's really easy to look at some of the really blatant neo-Nazi or white supremacist behavior and, like, that's the problem. Right. And because we live in a society that has systemic and structural racism, the problem is actually within all of us. And particularly as, as I'm a white person and as a white person, I've benefited from this privilege all my life. And so I think particularly for us white folks, it's incumbent upon us, even if we say, well, I'm, I'm not racist. We all have implicit bias and we're all benefiting from the system. So there's a lot of inner work to be done and self-education so that we start taking steps actively that help dismantle that system. So there's a real, almost a danger in these times of saying, oh gosh, there's yeah. White supremacists, let's march against them. And there's so much that we ourselves can do internally as well and through these practices. So I really appreciated you yeah. offering these practices as a source of courage for us to do that work. Thank yeah. you for that. Thank you. It's a beautiful note to, um, to end on. And uh, the, uh, the class that you mentioned that starts in a few weeks here, for those who were, who were local, would be a wonderful way um, to continue to explore these issues and the intersection between them and uh, and the Dharma and uh, what it means to really, as I was saying, to look deeply at the very structures uh, both in our society and the very structures that are embedded in our consciousness that we have all uh, learned, you know, uh, in this, if you grew up in this country. And there's a the beautiful uh, teaching, you know, it's, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Yeah. So let's all sit together for, for a moment and just connect with the, the, 
that energy of love and kindness, that's our capacity as humans.